My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village Church. If you're a guest with us, we're glad to have you with us this morning. This is uh, sometimes referred to as the other Pastor Matt. Which I go with the other Matt. You go with the other Matt. That's fine. And um, this morning, we're going to be doing a bit different service uh, than we would normally do. If you're a guest with us, uh, you should know that. And if you're not a guest, you're your village partner, you should know that as well. Um, at the Village Church, we want to glorify God by growing and multiplying disciples who are delighting in Jesus and declaring the good news about Jesus and displaying the life of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus, the, the truth of the gospel and the centrality of the gospel are very, very important to us as Village Church partners and as Christians. And our top two values as a church, kind of core values, are biblical authority and gospel centrality. The, these are things to the core of, of who we are as Christians and of who we are as, as Village Church partners together in this local church. And we could say that, that the, the truth of the gospel and the centrality of these things were, were foreordained before the foundation of the world. From eternity past, God set these things in motion. We could say that, that these things began 2,000 years ago when Jesus came and lived and died and rose. And there are other times in history, like the Reformation, where these truths were, were guarded and solidified in church history in some ways. And so this morning... On Reformation Day, we're going to take a kind of special morning to recognize that. And the rhythms of our morning are going to be a little different. Pastor Matt's going to begin to walk us through the five solas of the Reformation. And as we walk through one, we're going to respond by singing. So there will be a lot of sitting and standing back and forth this morning. And I just want to prepare you for that and ask you to, to come along for the, the journey this morning. It's going to be a different morning. It's going to be a good morning. And so we're going to open with the first sola. Pastor Matt's going to walk us through that. Thanks, Matt. Well, good morning, Village Church. Happy Reformation Day. See, you didn't even know that was a holiday, right? So, so now you know. Um, you know, if, if you've spent, you know, any time with me for any period of time, I think uh, you'll learn that I, I love history. And I love reading about history, and I, learn, and I love studying about history. I love teaching history in our Apprentice Academy. Because not just for history itself, but I love seeing the faithfulness of God to God's people and God's church throughout the ages. And so what hopefully you'll be able to see this morning um, is not just some new information um, or old information, if you already know a little bit about uh, church history and the Reformation, but it's something that you get to see uh, God working throughout the history and how he has been so faithful to his church. I hope that you see that when we reflect on the Reformation and what it means to be Protestant, that you realize that uh, these aren't just names and dates and figures, but there's actually an imperative here. There's actually a challenge to the people of God and the church of God today in these movements as we study this history and these movements that were begun long ago. So today, as we walk through the theology of the Reformation, it's my prayer that we'll see the faithfulness of God calling back to his people and calling us back to the authority of the Bible and how we can learn to apply these ideas that were so critical to the Reformation story. So that's where we're going this morning, and so we'll just jump right into it. Today is October 31st. You probably know it as Halloween. Well, Halloween is actually a word that comes from All Hallowed's Eve, or the day before All Saints' Day. So Christmas Eve is the day before Christmas. All Hallowed's Eve is the day before All Saints' Day. And so on the eve of All Saints' Day, 504 years ago, an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther nailed a list of 95 complaints 
or theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. He sought to debate his complaints with hope of reforming the Catholic Church to become more in line with biblical practice and teaching. Primarily, these theses were concerned with the sale of indulgences by the Catholic Church at the time. These were pieces of paper that one could buy in order to lessen their punishment or a relative's punishment in purgatory. Purgatory is the place that Catholics believe a Christian goes after death to be cleansed from their sin before entering heaven. So if you bought these indulgences, you or your loved one could get to heaven earlier. But since it's not in the Bible, Protestants don't believe in purgatory. The practice was actually accelerated leading up to Luther's time because the church sought to raise money for the Crusades and to build St. Peter's Basilica. Luther was never given the debate that he wanted. Instead, he was condemned as a heretic, and it took the kindness and heroics of his powerful friends to keep him from being executed. The legacy of Luther's protest continues to this day in what is called Protestantism. So this morning, we're going to look at the five main points that summarize the Reformation movement. These five points, or five solas, are the best formulation of what it means to be Protestant, and I hope that we see how they are just as important to the church today as they were in Luther's time, and how we should always be seeking the Reformation, the continual Reformation of God's church. Sola is just a Latin word that means alone. And so our first sola that we're going to look at this morning is sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our highest authority. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As Protestants, we hold that it is Scripture and not church tradition or church hierarchy that is our highest authority and the arbiter of our faith and practice. In Luther's time, the Roman church added several unbiblical elements to its doctrines and practices. One example, as we already talked about this morning, was the sale of indulgences. Luther saw no scriptural warrant for this practice, and actually he accused the church of talking more about indulgences than about the gospel. One of Luther's theses that he nailed to the church in Wittenberg, Thesis 54, says, Injury is done to the word of God when in the same sermon an equal or larger amount of time is devoted to indulgences than to the gospel. So apparently, many priests at this time were spending a lot more time trying to convince their congregation to buy indulgences than they were preaching the gospel. You might look at that and think, well, obviously that's bad. That's not right, right? How silly and how backwards and how wrong, you know, that was back then. But you know what? I think that this is the same type of thing that's happening in a lot of churches 
In Luther's time, you paid an indulgence to the church for forgiveness of your sins in the form of money. Today, I think we're still paying indulgences, but in a different form. Today, the indulgences are paid to the secular troll mob outrage police in the form of lip service or condescension. Churches are feeling the pressure to censor what the Bible says on moral issues, to apologize for Christian orthodoxy, or to silence our teaching on what the culture deems to be out of bounds. We're paying this indulgence to the very people we should be preaching the gospel to. Churches and pastors aren't paying with their money. They're paying with their credibility. And once we've lost that, once we've forfeited our credibility, why would they ever listen to us again about the gospel? If the Christian church wants to submit itself to the standards of the world in an attempt to be declared righteous by the culture, this can only last for so long. Unlike the unchanging righteous standard of God, the demands of this world can never be satisfied. They will always be changing, and whatever we think will gain us acceptance today will not be enough tomorrow. The church needs to get back to the Bible. The church needs to get back to preaching the gospel. The church needs to get back to making disciples and proclaiming Christ's message to the world. We are in just in much need of Reformation today as we were in Luther's time. This sola, solar scriptura, reminds us of a very important point. Reformation comes when God's people return to the authority of the Bible. Today, it's not hard to see unbiblical practices in the church or outside the church in the world. The church should always be using Scripture as the standard by which we measure our practice and to make sure that we're not being influenced by an unbiblical world. The other way that Scripture influenced the Reformation was a return to the biblical gospel. The gospel itself had been corrupted. The church was teaching that grace needed to be combined with good works in order to be saved. This is a complete denial of the biblical gospel, which says that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Christ's work alone is sufficient. Anything we add to the gospel is really no gospel at all. And with God's help, the church in this church will continue to be a church that values God's inerrant word as our highest authority and that will preach the true gospel that is contained within it. So what we're going to do this morning after uh, talking about this first sola is we're going to stand and we're going to sing about Scripture and how great it is and how wonderful God has been to us by giving us His Word and the truths that are contained in it. So if you wouldn't mind, um, stand with me and we will sing now. Out of the depths, 
depths I cried you In darkest places I will call Incline your ear to me anew In him I cry for mercy, Lord
Let's sing that chorus one last time. I will wait. And I will wait for you. I will wait for you through this storm and through the night. Yes, I will wait for you. Surely wait for you. For your love is my life. You can be seated. Sola number two, sola gratia, saved by grace alone. This sola affirms that it is the grace of God and not our own merit or effort which saves us. Every other religion in the world is a works religion. Mormonism, Islam, Hinduism, all of them say that you're the one who needs to work. You're the one who has to do enough or be good enough to get to heaven or to achieve enlightenment. And this idea crept into the church in Luther's time. The work of Christ was no longer enough. You had to earn your salvation. You had to earn merit. So you had to pray more, you had to give more, you had to do good deeds. And when you sinned, you had to do penance and go to confession. If you sinned a lot, you had to go on pilgrimage or do any other list of things that the church told you how you could become righteous. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. We were all once spiritually dead. And if not for the Holy Spirit regenerating our hearts, making us alive and able to respond to his call, we would still be dead. You didn't make yourself alive. God did that. You didn't regenerate your own heart and enable yourself to believe. God did that. No works of your own saved you. It's God's grace alone that has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Christianity is not about how to make your way up to God. Christianity is about God who made his way down to us. And he himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, is that way. 
This week we read in our Bible reading plan that Jesus is the ladder. He's the stairway by which we make it to God. You're saved apart from anything you've done. God didn't call you because you were so great. Hate, hate to break it to you. <laughs> it's not good people God saves, but it's sinners that he calls to repentance. All those things earlier listed, prayer, doing good works, those are all good things. You should pray. You should give to the poor. You should confess your sins. And you should help those that God puts in your path. But you should do those things out of gratitude to God because he's given you all the heavenly riches in Christ Jesus. You shouldn't do them because you're trying to earn your salvation. I love this Dallas Willard quote. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Do you still feel like you need to earn your salvation? You can't. You can't do enough. God's gift to you is so valuable that the only thing that could purchase it was the precious blood of his son. It's free, but it's not cheap. By grace alone. And I think that that's one of the marvelous truths that you are going to hear, hopefully, each and every week here at the Village Church. So what we're going to do now is that we're going to sing to God for his amazing grace to us. And we're going to praise him for what a wonderful gift that is. And 
Number three, sola fide. We are justified by faith alone. Much of Luther's critique of the Catholic Church around this time involved the church's teaching on justification. Justification is just a fancy theological word that means how can sinners be counted righteous before a holy and just God? The church around this time was teaching that God infuses righteousness into us. He actually makes us righteous. That we progressively become more righteous throughout our life based on what we do and what Christ did. Luther taught that the biblical doctrine that we're justified by faith alone. Our righteousness is not our own. It's foreign to us. It comes from outside of us. Christ accomplished salvation outside of you and without you. We receive this salvation by grace through faith as a gift. But even our faith itself isn't meritorious. Our faith itself is not a work that we do. We don't gain merit with God because of the quantity of our faith. Faith is the instrument through which we receive Christ's righteousness. In some churches today or on TV, you might hear pastors say something like, well, if you just had more faith, 
If you just believed a little bit harder, if you had a little more faith in God, then he would fix your problems. It's this toxic prosperity gospel that says your prosperity is proportional to your faith. Some even say things like, well, if you just step out in faith and if you just give to this ministry, if you just write us a check, if you just drop something in the offering plate, it will prove that you have great faith in God and then he'll bless you. That's such a backwards idea on what it means to have faith. Church, we can be confident in this. It's not the quantity of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you, Jesus Christ. We're not saved because our faith is so great. We're saved because the one we have faith in is so great. Paul spends the first part of his book of Romans proving his case that all people, Jews and Gentiles, have broken God's law and are unrighteous. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this falling short, this separation, has to be fixed in order for us to be saved. We can either fix it ourselves by being perfect, which no one is, or someone has to be perfect for you. You won't be justified by keeping the law because you don't keep it. And you won't keep it. And Paul uses this to set up his argument that this is the reason why we need faith in Jesus. Just a few verses later, he says, then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No. By the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Faith means trust. Having faith in God means trusting in God to do what he said he will do. To save you through Christ. Do you trust him to save you? Do you have faith in him? Do you believe his promises in the gospel? I hope you do. And if you don't, you can today. There's nothing separating you from having faith in the one who is calling you to himself. And I think that that's a wonderful truth that God has given us today in his word. In the back, we have the communion elements, and those are things that um, should only be shared by people who are of the household of faith by God's church. And if you've never received that gift because you don't know if you've ever had faith, you can do that for the first time today with your new brothers and sisters in here in Christ. So with these last three songs, as we sing declaring these truths about God, we want to invite all people in here, all Christians, that as you feel led during one of the next three songs that we're going to sing, you can go to the back and you can partake, and maybe some of you even for the first time, because today is the first day that you've responded in faith to what God is calling you to believe. So we're going to sing, and we're going to proclaim 
uh, what a wonderful gift he's given to us by faith in his son. Son, I 
words are actually from uh, a creed from the Apostles' Creed, and it's a great formulation of what we believe, what the content of our faith is. And um, the creeds are great. If you've never studied them, they're really, really wonderful things that have been given to the church, passed down through the ages, and that's part of history. That's part of what the saints throughout the millennia, throughout the ages, have all believed in us with them. So, um, thanks. Sola number four. Solus Christus, there is no Savior but Christ alone. Acts 4.12 says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This Sola tells us that there is one Savior and there is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. Luther chose the eve of All Saints Day to make his protest for a very specific reason. The reason why is that in Luther's time, the church had established this elaborate system where people could pray to dead saints or to Mary for help. And that the dead saints would pray to God on their behalf, and somehow these prayers were more effective than if the Christian just prayed to God directly. In some circles, Mary was actually talked about as a sinless co-redeemer with Christ. They also said that you had to confess your sins to a priest and that the priest would go before God and plead your case so that the priest became this sort of mediator between you and God. The priest would actually take the cup of the Lord's Supper on behalf of the people. The people didn't actually share in the cup of the Lord's Supper, only the bread. You had to go through all these different mediators, was the teaching at the time, in order to approach God. Luther looked at that, and he looked at his Bible in places like 1 Timothy 2.5, which says, there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. There's only one person we look to to make our way to God. There's only one person who stands between us and God. There's only one way, there's only one address that you need to know where to find God. 
not through a priest. It's not through another person. It's not through these uh, lesser saints, however great a life they lived in order to make your way to God. It's one person, Jesus. That's one of the things that uh, when we started coming to this church um, several years ago now, was just how often we heard Jesus proclaimed and preached from the pulpit. And my prayer is that it will continue to be that way and even increasingly so, that, um, that the man Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, will continue to be proclaimed here in this church, in our community groups, in our homes, and in our lives. This is really good news that Jesus is our only way and our only mediator to God because he himself is God. Any other person, no matter how wonderful or how much of a saint or how perfect they may be, still has the same way through Jesus. No person is so great that they can just have direct access to God. We all need to go through Jesus. No one in your life is going to be perfect enough that they can go around Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the mediator. Through Jesus, you can have confidence that your prayers are heard. You can know that your sins are forgiven. And you can know without a doubt that he helps those whom he loves and has called himself. Salvation is found in no one else but Christ alone. There's no other redeemer. There's no other way. Nothing else is required. So we're going to sing to Jesus now for what a great God and Savior he is to us and how he is our only way, our only mediator, and our only Savior.
the strength to follow your commands could never come from me oh father use my ransom life fifth and last solo we're going to look at this morning. Soli Deo Gloria. From first to last, our salvation is to the glory of God alone. Our salvation glorifies God. No one else. God is the most glorious being in the universe. Think about that. There is nothing, there is nothing in all creation that exceeds the glory of our God. And he will share his glory with no one. He providentially works out all things so that in everything he will be glorified. If salvation is partly due to you, or if you contribute a little bit, or you did something that, you know, makes God kind of tick you up a little bit higher in the salvation rankings or whatever, the thoughts are, you've got something to boast about. You've got some form of glory that can be shared. There's some boasting that you can do because you contributed to it, right? But Paul says in Ephesians that boasting is excluded. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See what Paul is saying here? This inheritance that we have, he says it twice, was done to the praise of God's glory. This should give us true humility. If our salvation is not due to us, if it solely is the work of God, 
we should be immensely humbled before God. If we contribute nothing, what is there to be prideful about? Out of his great love for us, God has saved us for his glory. This should fundamentally change the way that we live our lives. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So somehow even mundane things, things that are required for all of us to survive, even those little things like eating and drinking can be done in such a way that they bring glory to God. You can glorify God by eating. You can bring glory or dishonor to God by eating too. As Paul later said in 1 Corinthians, when they were doing a lot of stuff around the Lord's Supper, they were bringing dishonor to God because of the way that they were going about it. Our salvation should cause us to live lives where every action in every moment we seek to give glory to God alone. Soli Deo Gloria not only transforms the way that we look at our faith in church or while we're singing praise songs. It transforms the way that we look at our vocation. Luther's teaching on vocation had a tremendous impact on the way Protestants view work because we know we aren't working for our salvation. If you thought you were working for your salvation, then that would fundamentally change, I think, the way that you viewed your vocation. Protestants don't look at vocation that way. We look at our vocation as a way to bring God glory in whatever way he has called us to work. Every single Christian at whatever age and whatever stage has a vocation. Whether you get a paycheck or not. And whatever form your vocation takes, it can be done in such a way as to bring glory to God. In his book, On the Freedom of a Christian, Luther writes concerning vocation. The Christian does not need works for his justification, but that he may not be idle, but that he may exercise his own body and preserve it. His works are to be done freely with the sole object of pleasing God. We can and should glorify God in everything that we do. Whether you find yourself in the boardroom or in the classroom, or in a mechanic shop, constructing a building, making lunch for your family, or teaching your children at home, all of it can be done to glorify God and to glorify Him alone. And that is how I believe this sola can transform the way that we work and the way that we live as Christians. There should be a fundamental difference between the way that a Christian works and exercises their vocation and the way that a non-Christian works. So that when we come, each one of us, to the end of our life, we can say with all humility, soli deo gloria. May my entire life have been lived to the glory of God alone. So my prayer, church, as we went through this quick um, survey of the theology of the Reformation and what we're celebrating on this Reformation Sunday. As we observe it, my prayer is that these ideas that we talked about that fueled and grounded the
the Reformation, that we see that they're just as important and just as applicable as they were 504 years ago. That each one of us would be empowered, that each one of us would be fueled by what David Wells called the courage to be Protestant. That it's something that we affirm, something that we teach, something that we see that God has called us as a church to do, to live, and to be. So we're going to sing our final song to God now. To give glory to him and that we can continue to reform and renew God's church as his spirit calls us for his glory.